First Corinthians chapter 12. And we've been talking about how we're one of a kind. And I mentioned earlier about the fact that God has designed us to be in community with one another. God has designed us to come together as one. As, American, as Americans in our culture, we have a tendency towards independence, right? We want to be independent. We want to be our own thing. But that's only to a certain degree. Uh, we are wired to do life in community. God designed us to do life in community. We are called to come together as one, the Bible tells us. So it's, it's important for us to come together as one because we can't do anything for the kingdom of God. We can't do anything for God's glory on our own in a big way. Now, each of us can reach individuals. We can reach a couple people here and there. But as a corporate mind or as a unified church, individualism usually doesn't work out well. Um, you think about people when they are isolated. Do they usually gravitate towards God or towards evil? Think of it today. When somebody wants to leave a church, the first thing they do is what? Begin to isolate themselves. They drift away. They want to get alone. They want to get away from other people that are speaking truth into their, into their lives. Think of Christians who are bitter or angry. Usually they don't have a lot of friends around them who are spiritual titans. They want to find people who don't walk with the Lord, who will justify their behavior for them. Uh, we desire community. We desire people that are like us. And last week we said that our community of one begins when we recognize that we are each individual masterpieces designed by God. You are made in the image of God. The people in the world are made in the image of God. And today I want to propose to you that God has a desire for each individual in here to be greater than the sum of ourself. God wants us to be greater when we are different rather than we're the same. So much of our American culture desires to be the same. If you're going to associate with people, you want to associate with them based on what you do, what your hobbies are, what your favorite vehicle is. Is it a Chevy? Is it a Ford? Is it a Yugo? You know, whatever your favorite. Are you a John Deere guy or are you an international guy? You know, we like to have our individualism in groups. We identify in groups. And somehow as Americans, we think we're unique when we're the same as everybody around us. Now, by definition, I don't know how you can define it any other way than, than unique is very different than being the same as everybody else, right? Uh, uh, this morning, I have a one-of-a-kind pen up here except for the fact that it looks like every other pen in the building. But it's one of a kind. You'd say, that's not one of a kind. That's one of a thousand pens that were purchased for our church. And they're in the building here, and they all have the same features, and they all do the same stuff. There's my pen. I knew somebody moved it. There it is. It's a pen like everybody else's. It's got a little clippy thing. It has like a little smushy thing on the top that you can scroll with. You know, a stylus end, it's got the pointy end that actually writes. 
You know, it's a beautiful pen. How many, who wants this one of a kind pen? hundred bucks right now. hundred bucks. One of a kind. And all you are chuckling, why? You know there's a whole stack of them back there that cost what? They're free. So there goes one of a kind. All right. So I can do that because it only costs a couple pennies. It's not, it's not a $100 pen. And you know what? We laugh at that. But think about this. You'll take a one-of-a-kind masterpiece, and when you stick it on your wall at home, and it's replicated hundreds of times on a piece of paper, you know what you call that? Wallpaper. A one-of-a-kind masterpiece printed over and over and over and over again, we call wallpaper on a wall. But you can go to a building today where there are one-of-a-kind masterpieces on a wall, but each are individual. You know what we call that place? A museum. And those are called works of art. Why are they works of art? What makes them special over your wallpaper at home? You say, well, the author. No, it's the fact that your wallpaper at home isn't unique because there's thousands of prints. Thus, it is very common. However, the Mona Lisa, while there are knockoffs of it, there is only one real one. And where is it at? You guys know where it is because it's in a museum. And it's a special designated place where people can take all of what it is and understand what it represents and the work that was put into it. When we recognize that we are all masterpieces, when we begin to live up to the ideal by serving others the way that God has called us to serve, we become part of a community that is uniquely common. All of us are the same, but all of us are different. All of us identify in Jesus Christ, but all of us have different backgrounds, different friend groups, different skill sets, different gifts, different abilities. So today we're going to continue to look at what it means to be a community and more specifically, a community of one, and how our uniqueness is also the power that we have. It's our uniqueness that gives us power. Have you ever noticed, we always tend towards wanting to be the same. People who look like us, people who think like us, people who believe like we do, people who vote like we do. Do you notice my graphics? You saw that, right? You're like, Pastor Joe's putting a donkey on the screen. What's he thinking? Well, there's people that are different than I am. Not that I'm much of an elephant either. They, they got their problems. But you know what? Both, we want to identify with groups. We want to identify with colors. We want to identify with stereotypes. People who are in the same socioeconomic de demographic as we are. We want to be alike, which is ironic since our culture preaches and teaches that, that we are a diverse group, that diversity is what we really are about, that, that we're independent and we're our own person, yet we claim we want diversity, we claim we want to be different, we claim that we want to be anti-groupthink, right? But let Elon Musk buy Twitter. And the left goes crazy. And the right rejoices. Why? Because although we think we're unique, although we think we're individuals, you are not. Let me prove it from high school. 
Some of you re-rack re your brain here, right? It's a couple decades ago or half a century ago. Um, re-rack your brain, go back to high school, right? In high school, there were different cliques. Remember the cliques? Each clique was a group of nonconformists in some way, right? There was the group of nonconformists. They all wore the same clothes. Today, they all wear black, don't they? They wear black. They have the same hairstyle. They all wore the same clothes. They all listened to the same music. They all hung out at the same place. They all did everything together at the same time, acted the same way, listened to the same music, did the same stuff, called themselves nonconformists, while ironically the entire group was the exact same. Remember that? Some of you are like, nope, I avoided that out of my brains. That never happened in my life. If you're not sure about it, go back and look in your yearbook. You'll be reminded quickly of this. And by the way, in case you really doubt it, look at churches today. In America, Sunday morning has been called the most segregated hour in the week of American culture. How many, churches, how many of us have seen white churches? How many of us have seen black churches? How many have seen Asian churches? How many of you have seen... Do you get the point? We subdivide our cultures. If you go to New York City today, guess what you can go to? There's a little town called Chinatown. But not only is there Chinatown, there's Little Italy. Not only is there that, there's little Mexico. Not only that, there's little, and there's all these little subcultures within the culture where people are constantly trying to identify themselves with a group so they can be individual. Do you get it? And I don't think the segregation is, is necessarily because we really want to exclude others because we're naturally drawn towards sameness. We are drawn to people that have our interest. Churches marked by diversity are genuinely that way because it took a lot of intentional effort to be that way. They're intentionally getting uncomfortable. They're intentionally reaching out to people who are different than them. However, here's the key. Sameness does not add life or strength to an organization. When everybody's the same, that doesn't add strength or life to an organization. Matter of fact, historically, if you were to do some research, you'll find out when people become the same, they become uninspired. When everybody thinks the same, acts the same, does the same, they become very apathetic. And when everybody thinks the same, does the same, they become very unmotivated. Warren W. Wearsby said this, unity without diversity would produce uniformity. And uniformity tends to produce death. Life is a balance between unity and diversity. As the human body weakens, its systems slow down and everything tends to become uniform. The ultimate, of course, is that the body itself turns back to dust. Think about it. The older you get, the less inspired you become. The older you get, the less energy you have. The older you get, the more you're content with sitting down in a chair and being happy all day. Why is that? Because unity 
without diversity tends to kill things. And God has told us in no uncertain terms in the portion of scripture we read together this morning that while the body of Christ is one, its individualism is what gives it its strength. It's what gives it its power. Uniformity tends to produce death and uniformity decreases the strength and value of things. Think of it like this. If you were to have a building where the walls are all covered with that same masterpiece, I mentioned this earlier, the wallpaper, right? We call it wallpaper. But today you will spend hundreds of dollars to walk into a museum to look at somebody else's wallpaper. Some guy set up an easel in his house somewhere and painted wallpaper. It just never got reproduced into wallpaper. It was a one-of-a-kind masterpiece. It's called art. Nobody plans a great heist at your house to steal your wallpaper. But there are people who plan great heists to steal art. Isn't it interesting that Satan himself doesn't waste a whole lot of time trying to attack the world today because the wallpaper's common. But what he will attack are the one-of-a-kind masterpieces of God. And if you're here today and you're a Christian, you're a -a one-of-a-kind masterpiece in God's eyes. And in Satan's eyes, you're a target. In Satan's eyes, you're a liability. So the thief is looking at how he can rob God of his unique masterpieces by systematically attacking them whenever he can. So in the church, the body of Christ, when everything is the same, we cannot be a community of one that transforms the world because we're actually dying. We're actually less powerful when we have uniformity than when we have diversity. We're not stronger when we're all the same. We're stronger when we're different on purpose. Or to put it another way, when we are all together different, we are more than the sum of our parts. When we're all together different, we're more than the sum of our parts. Now let's look at our passage of scripture together. When we're all together different, we're more than the sum of our parts. This is the one thing I want you to understand today. When we are all together different, we are more than the sum of our parts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Look at it with me again. It's going to have more power this time. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body... Though many are, say it together, one body, so it is with Christ. If you are in Christ, you're one of the many members of Christ. You're, one, you're part of the body. You're a member of the body. And when you suffer, the whole body should suffer. When you prosper, the whole body should prosper. Now, I thought about getting a volunteer. I got a three-pound mall up here, and I need a volunteer. No volunteers. We're only going to hit your hand. It's not going to kill you. No, I'm kidding, Gene. I'm kidding. I don't have one. But if I had a three-pound hammer up here and I asked for a volunteer and said, I'm going to smack your hand with this three-pound maul as hard as I can. Why are you ooing? You're not even going to feel it. But you feel compassion for him already, don't you? You're already emotionally attached to the situation that never even was going to happen. 
And you're all starting to think already, you're processing this like, if he really did that, do you know what that would do to his hand? Do you know how shat, there would be no fixing that. That would be, that, that's borderline abuse. How could Pastor Joe even think of that? That is so awful. Can you, you know what? When one person suffers, the whole body of Christ suffers. Does that happen today? Is that how the church is built today? Is that how the people of God are functioning today? You know, this little tiny letter written by Paul to a group of Jesus followers in a town called Corinth. It was hard to be a Jesus follower in Corinth. You realize that, right? So many times we pick on this church for all the problems it had, but do you know why it had all the problems? It had so many different groups of people in it. Let me give you, for instance, some of the people that are in this town. There are Jews, right? And there are the Greeks. Now they are just alike culturally, aren't they? I mean, the Jews with all their religion and calling themselves God's people, being better than everybody else. And then you have the Greeks who, well, you know, they didn't know much. The intellectuals, the Gnostics, the higher learning, the more educated. Uh, then you have the, the Gauls. Who were the Gauls? Do you remember? You got the French and the Spaniards who were living in Corinth as well. And then you got the Germanic influence from the north of Europe that's there as well, down in this part of the country. And then you got the African slaves who are there in the culture as well, those who were dominated by the Roman Empire and brought back up that way towards Italy. But now they've gotten some freedom, but not really because they're still stuck in this empire. Uh, then you got the slaves and you got the free. You got the ex-military and the military. You got those conquered by the military. You got all kinds of different religious backgrounds. I mean, the Greeks didn't have any gods, right? Then you got the socioeconomic backgrounds of these different people groups. I mean, Corinth was a place where everything was the same. There was nothing the same about this town. This town was so diverse, so different, so messed up culturally, so blended culturally, that if you wanted to pick a culture that Corinth was, you would struggle to pick one because nothing's going to fit them. And by the way, guess what happens when you got that many different peoples, that many different cultures, that many different races, that many different nationalities, free and slave, economically powerful, economically weak. What do you think, what do you think the culture of the city was like? Everybody had all things in common. No. Nothing but trials and tribulation. Nothing but fightings. And by the way, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, why is Paul rebuking the church of Corinth? Because they're showing favor towards one group of people and they're neglecting another group of people. The rich aren't waiting for the poor and the poor are taking advantage of the church and you have all these motives and all these people groups doing stuff to where God says, you know what? Stop. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Act like it. We're all one. But see, here's where America causes us a problem again. Their differences in this culture created friction. And in our American culture, we struggle with this because these frictions aren't limited to race, culture, economics, social status, religious backgrounds alone, 
but there's also different tiers of people within different organizations. Let me show you like in American culture how this works out, right? We do this today in our own culture. A CEO is more important than a regional manager, true or false? True, right? What about in God's eyes? False, right? But in American culture, a CEO is more important than a regional manager. Now, a regional manager is more important than a store manager, true or false? True. How about in God's eyes, true or false? Now, a store manager is more important than the janitor, true or false? In God's economy, true or false? You see what's happening? Let me show you another one. A teacher is more important than a para, true or false? Depends on which one you are, doesn't it? Right? Right? We want to say they're equal, but what do we all know to be true? Which one makes more? Teacher. So in American culture, it's true. In God's economy, it's false. How about this? The para is more important than the lunch lady. True or false? Depends if you're the lunch lady, right? <laughs> now, do we need these things in American culture because of how our businesses are built? Yes. But we need to understand as Americans that build into our psyche, subliminally or not, build into our psyche is this idea that some people are not as important as other people. Some people deserve things and some people don't deserve things. So it becomes our nature to look at the differences and determine some to be better than others and then to pursue the more important positions and to dismiss the less important positions because the more important are better than the less important ones. When God said in his economy, the last shall be first and the first shall be... He doesn't look at things the way man looks at them. God looks on the heart. God is not interested in your status of where you've built your life. He's interested in where your life is in comparison to Jesus Christ. He's not interested in our successes as much as he's interested in our faithfulness. And as Americans, we have this psyche where we think things should be different. It's our nature to look at the differences and determine some to be better than others. And, not to, and we saw this in COVID, did we not? Your job is either essential or non-essential. What does that tell you right there? There are elites, and then there's the rest of you. There are those who are worthy and those who are, stay out of our way. And in our American culture, we bought into this. We've bought into this thinking. And the problem with our culture is this. The problem is this attitude is carried over into our churches. And as it's carried over into our churches, we have deemed some people worthy of the gospel and some people unworthy of the gospel. And we all know churches where the elites get the attention and, and the others don't. And if you're in the club, you get power. And if you're not in the club, you got no power. And it shouldn't be that way. Here's the reality. Whether you're a Sunday school teacher, a nursery worker, or the pastor of a church, you're standing before God is the same. 
Do you realize that this morning? The way I stand before God is the exact same how you're going to stand before God. Now, the pastor does have a little bit of extra baggage attached to him, but not in a good way. I'm going to be held responsible for how you all live your lives. Whether or not I presented the gospel in a right way that you had the ability to live your life in a God-honoring way. Regardless of whether you do or not, God's looking at my motive, my heart, and my intentions. Not at the result. Because who controls the result? God does and you do. But was I faithful with the word of God? Did I present it in a right way? Did I do it with the right spirit? Did I do it with your interest in mind and not my own selfish greed? Because if I do it in my own selfish greed, what do I have? I got my reward. That's it. I got it right here. Temporal moment, gone. But is the pastor any more spiritual than any other position in the church? Is the pastor more essential than anybody else in the church? No. He's not. Because it takes all the members doing the work for a church to thrive. And that's where American churches have got it messed up in the head today. When they lose their pastor, they think, oh man, we got to find a new pastor so we know what to do. Really? Really? You don't know what to do without a pastor telling you what to do? That's like a 16-year-old like saying, man, my parents are working. I don't know how I'm going to eat. Nobody's here to spoon feed me. What am I going to eat for lunch? I got no parents. No, you have parents. Your parents taught you how to use a microwave at least, hopefully. If not, there is this thing called cereal still, right? Milk, cereal bowl, spoon. Got it, right? You can get that, can't you? You can get that one. I mean, it's not that hard. And when it comes to spiritual things, like the church loses their pastors, like, what are we going to do? I think we're going to have to close. Shame on the church. Yes. You don't have any teachers inside that can step up and lead? You've been so dependent on one person, you built your entire ministry on one guy, so when he leaves, the whole thing falls? No way. This is where the church should thrive. The sad part is, in our American culture, we've allowed the CEO mentality of our culture into our churches. And that's why the churches are struggling today. That's why there's a void of leadership in churches today. Well, I'm not the pastor. That's his job to go into all the world and find people. If you're dependent on one guy to build a church, then your church is going to be about 20 people. And that's like, he's a Swiss army knife if he's got 20 people. Because let me ask you a question. How many people have you brought to church in your lifetime? If it's single digit, that's probably average. Three or less is common. Because one person can actually disciple three people. If you were here in Sunday school, why did I pick three? Think about that. That's your sphere of influence. You have three, you probably have five friends and three close friends. Even Jesus started with three, didn't he? His inner circle was three men. And he grew those men to be leaders. And then he grew the other nine to be leaders. He lost one, gained another, Matthias. And then he invests in the 70. Then he invests in the 100. Then he invested in the multitudes. Paul understood what it meant by 
When we are all together different, we are more than the sum of our parts. Paul understood this. Look with me back at verse 12, again at chapter 12. For just as the body has, is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, or we're all immersed into one body. Jews and Greeks, slaves are free. We are all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, singular, but many. So in helping Paul, in helping work through the differences, he, he uses one of the biggest, best examples that he could possibly use, and that is something everybody could relate to. How many of you this morning have a body? All of us know how a body works. All of us knows when one part suffers, it all suffers. When you get an infection in your foot, does that hurt anywhere else? Yeah. When you stub your toe, why is it the entire body bounces and your eyes water and you, your mouth starts saying things? Christian or unchristian? Why is it all of these things are taking place? Because it's all connected. It's all one. The human body is an amazing thing. The body, Paul says, is made up of many parts and every part has a role to play. And every part needs every other part for it to succeed. And if the whole body were the same, then it wouldn't be the body. If you were to take time and read the rest of the part of this letter, Paul goes on and on about how all these different parts coming together are better than any one part by itself. And the whole thing fails if each part doesn't show up to play their role. Imagine if your right leg wanted to take the day off. Some of you are like, it does. I've had that happen. I go to stand up, it's numb, and down I go. You know, if your right leg decides to take the day off, you have to go and get something else to help your structure. What do we call those? Crutches. And if it's really bad, let's say the hip takes its day off, you have to go not get crutches, but you actually go and get a wheelchair. And then this substitute apparatus assists you in working. Now, in the wheelchair, your whole body gets the day off, doesn't it? No, what happens? The arms have to pick up the slack for the legs. And all of a sudden, you begin to scoot yourself around on this thing, and you're like, man, I think I weigh more than I thought I weighed. And man, this ramp is a little steeper than I thought it was. I'm in reverse. I just realized i got to go this way. I'm rolling back into one of the hills getting bigger. It's getting further away. Shows you how often I've been in a wheelchair. You know what? When we're different, we're more powerful than the sum of our parts. And this is a secret to the church. There are no insignificant members of a local community of Jesus followers. It doesn't matter what you can or can't do. Every one of us who considers ourselves to be followers of Jesus are an essential part of God's community. And as such, each of us brings individual skills and talents to the table that nobody else can. You know why? Because you're one of a kind. You're a masterpiece. And God has equipped you in ways that he has not equipped anybody else in this church. You are uniquely gifted. It doesn't matter if you're the only nursery worker because you're an essential part of the body. It doesn't matter if you're only a greeter, you're an essential part of the body. 
It doesn't matter if you're a musician on the stage or a deacon, you're simply part of the body. It doesn't matter if you're the pastor or you preach the most or teach the most on Sunday than any other person. You're simply one part of the body, but it's an essential part. It's an essential part. Take the pastor away from the church, it does have an effect. Take people out of the church and it does have an effect. It, it usually weakens the ministry. Sometimes it strengthens the ministry. Look with me at verse 27. If you're a Christian, this verse is written directly to you. Now you are the body of Christ and individually, finish the verse. You're part of the body. You're part of this body. You're part of this church, this outcalling of believers. We collectively are the body of Christ. And you individually are part of it. We as a community of one are the body of Christ. We have the ability to impact our community by using our individual talents for the glory of God and the betterment of his church. Paul stays on this theme of the body. The church is called to be the body, the physical representation, the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in our world today. But a lot of churches today are crippled. A lot of them often think the body of Christ comes off crippled because we don't use our gifts, our talents, our skills, our abilities, our passion to serve in the church and to serve the world through the church. All of us have gifts and abilities. You don't know your gifts? I'll give you a spiritual gift test. I'm not big on those because all of you are already professional in the field, aren't you? Some kind of professional in some way, right? All of, most of us have worked jobs. If you've ever worked a job, then that makes you a people person. You say, nope, I lock myself in a cubicle and I use computers. Well, that makes you a computer person. Churches never use computers, Right? Some of you have the ability to administrate things and run and organize things. And you do it every day at work, but you've never used that gift in the church. Why? Well, that's work, and this is church. Well, who gave you the ability to work at work? God. But he doesn't want you to use your gift in his house. I get that. I understand that. This is crazy. This is, this is our American mindset infiltrating the church and messing churches up. We each have gifts and abilities. We each have skills. We each have talents. You have passions. And I guarantee you, your passions are different than mine because I've seen nobody else want to go flying with me. Oh, that's not true. There is one. There is one. I do have some stuff for you too. <laughs> so, you know what? I love flying. I got a passion for it. I love the Bible. I got a passion for it. I love ministry. I got a passion for that. I like fishing. I like, there's a lot of things I like, but there's a lot of things you like that I don't like. And I'm glad you like those because you're going to reach people I'll never reach. But I can definitely reach people you'll never reach. And every one of us have skills. And all those skills being different can be used to create a community of one that changes our world. Do you believe that? That's exactly what God designed his church for. What if everyone here used their skill, their talent, their gift, their ability, and their passion to engage in serving the church and those outside the church in our community? What would happen? 
Then imagine what happens when we take those gifts, those skills, those talents, those abilities, those passions, and, and we go outside of the church into our neighborhoods, into our neighbors and our friends, and we begin to share the gospel with them. What would happen? I can tell you, we'd be unstoppable. When we're all together different, we're more than the sum of our parts. So let me ask you this question. Why doesn't that happen? So why doesn't that happen? If we all see that this is what God wants and this is what God's word says, then what, why doesn't it happen? In response to the message, I, w- I want to challenge you with a couple things this morning. Number one, I want to challenge you to step into ministry. Pastors are not the only people called into ministry. Every believer, every child of God is called into full-time Christian service. It might not be paid vocational service, but it might be. Where do missionaries come from? Where do pastors come from? Come from churches. It comes from people serving in churches. It comes from people hearing the Word of God, growing in the Word of God, and saying, I want to go tell other people about the Word of God. This is where they're motivated from. This is where they come from. So I want to challenge you, don't necessarily, I'm not talking just full-time ministry here, although that might be what God calls you to. I don't know. I sat in a church service one Sunday, and I heard a missionary say that he needed help on the mission field, and we need workers to go to the mission field. And you know what I said when I sat in that service? I'll go to the mission field. He was talking about a mamba snake in Africa. I was like, I really don't want to go to Africa. But I'll go, I guess. If I have to go, I don't want to go fight snakes, but I want to go fight the devil. I want to fight the big snake. I want to fight him. So I'm willing to do that. You know, I went forward and the angels sang and God revealed himself to me and he showed me everything that was going to happen in my future. And in my future, there's this little church in Sock Center and I was like, whoa. <laughs> None of that happened, all right? You know what happened? I knelt down and I said, God, whatever you want with my life, I give it to you. Next thing I did is I fastened my seatbelt and I began to read my Bible. And guess what? After years and years of reading the Bible over and over again in verses and classes and papers and exams and all the other stuff and all these little fancy pieces of paper hanging on my wall in my office, somebody at some point, a group of guys who are all pastors, sat down in a meeting and said, you are ordained to the gospel ministry. And then all of a sudden, these trumpets in heaven. I was like, whoa. That didn't happen. You know what happened? They said, here's a pulpit, get working. There was no glory. There was no Shekinah glory from heaven. There was no audible voices. I didn't hear, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I didn't hear any of that. You know what I got? I got a kick in the pants and people looked at me and said, Pastor, what do you want us to do? And for 21 years, I have church members ask me, Pastor, I'm here. What do you want me to do? You know what I want you to do? I'm going to give you all the secret at one time. Okay? This is what I want you to do. I want you to do what God's called you to do. Is that fair? I want you, how many of you want me to do what God's called me to do? So what is that? (laughs) What is that? You're like, whatever God wants you to do. Yeah, that's the answer. That's exactly the secret sauce. 
You can only do what God's individually called you to do. And guess what? I can't do that for you. I can do that for me, but I can't do that for you. And you can't do that for me. And that's the secret of the ministry is we all do what God's called us to do. And since God is one and in God, there's no errors and God, there's no mistakes and God, there's no things that are out of whack and, and not in order. When we all individually do what God's called us to individually do, what happens to his church by default? It grows. It becomes strong. It becomes unstoppable. You know what? You know, you know what our government learned during COVID? I know this is going to be a shock to everybody here because none of you thought about this. You know what our government found out during COVID? They can stop some churches from meeting, but they can't stop all churches from meeting. Hmm. Wonder why? Because individually we're stronger, but together we're even stronger. And when one church rebelled and went against the government's command and a bunch of other churches joined them, now all of a sudden a single government can't stop what? They can't stop individuals. It's our individual liberty as Americans that allow us to work together. Do you get it? Our founding fathers had this figured out. They knew it would take individual votes to make a unified government. And that the government of the people, by the people, and for the people would be better than an autocracy, than a monarchy, than any other form of government because the people are not going to do things that are going to segregate themselves because united we stand, divided we... How have we forgotten that as Americans? How have we forgotten that? And our culture today is being driven by people who want to see America fail because they're creating division and not unity. And that the spirit of division is creeping into the churches. And we as individuals who are called by God's name need to protect that. We need to guard against that. We need to push back. And we need to say, you know what? Our government's corrupt because we're allowing corrupt people to run it. But as individuals, we have the ability to stop it. And in the church, our churches are getting corrupt because we're allowing them to be corrupt. But as individuals, if we all stop and say, you know what, I'm going to do what God called me to do, guess what happens to his church real fast? It purifies itself. And it becomes powerful because we're all different. When we are all together different, we are more than the sum of our parts. Let me give you a couple of things to think about. And this idea of serving. Number one, you may need to spend more time identifying your skills, your talents, and your abilities for Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to find what that is. Maybe you need to figure out what those are. If you need help with that, I'd be glad to help you with that. But I think most of us know what our skill sets are, right? Most of us know what our abilities are. Number two, you need to pray and see where God can use your skill set the best in his church. In this, in this region, in this area. How can God use you specifically right now where you are? Number three, you may need to explore and be free to fail. You know what? I used to think I was a really good children's teacher. And the older I get, I stink at teaching kids. They drive me nuts. And why don't they know all the things I know? Why are they so dumb? Right? 
Pastor Joe, you might stay on the upper side. That's where you belong. You don't, don't go down there. You're frustrated down there. Then, then they know I'm frustrated. Like, how do you not know these things? Tell the hypostatic union of Jesus. Everybody knows that. Come on, fifth graders, third graders. It's true. Here's the other thing. Maybe your skill set is so unique that you have the ability to start something nobody else has thought of in the church. There's room to teach kids. There's room to teach teenagers. There's room to teach adults. There's room for discipleship. There's room for technology. There's room for singing. There's room for... You pick the area, there's room. But there might be another area that nobody's even thought of yet. And you've got a skill set that God can use. But if we take all our gifts and we take all our skills, we take all our talents, all our abilities, all of our passions, we come together as different as we are, and we begin to change our community using those gifts, does the church become stronger or weaker? Because our differences is what gives us strength. Our sameness is where we'll die. And when a church is trying to get holy to the point where everybody's just alike, get out of that church. Because it's dying. It's dying. It's already dead. It just hasn't found the grave to fall into yet. But it's out there. It's looking for it. When we're all together different, we're more than the sum of our parts. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, help us to see the uniqueness that we are in your eyes. Each person in this building today is a masterpiece that you made, that you designed, that you called, that you created for your glory. And Father, every person we will interact with this week are people who are uniquely designed by you, uniquely created, placed in this time period that we live as an opportunity for us to speak truth into their life and to show them the, ma the, the master who created the masterpiece. And Father, every person in this room here is uniquely individual. And as unique individuals, you have given to each of us skill sets that we can use either to glorify you or to consume of our own self. And Father, when the church uses her uniqueness and individualism as a community builder, it creates a community of believers who are unstoppable for the cause of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter what other ministries have because they don't have each individual that makes up this ministry. And Father, you have uniquely gifted us to work in the community in which you've placed us. And Father, sometimes I think we forget that or we don't think about that. But you have given us everything we need to minister in Sock Center where we are. You've given us everything we need to minister in Melrose and to minister in West Union, and to minister in El Rosa, and to minister in Long Prairie, and to minister in the areas around us. You have uniquely gifted our church and our ministry and this building and this place at this time to do exactly what you want done in this area. And Father, the question we have to ask today as a church and as individuals is, what's stopping that? What's stopping that from happening? Because Father, it's not your will that any should perish, and yet there are people perishing. And your word said that the, the fields are white unto harvest, but the laborers are few. And that we need to pray that you would send forth laborers. And Father, I pray this morning that you would send us. And I pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit would speak to each individual heart today, whether they're watching the live stream or they're here in the building, Father, that we would evaluate our own heart and see if we are willing to surrender as individuals. And if we're willing to surrender as individuals, then your church will grow. 
Because as each of us do what you have individually called us to do, your church grows as a byproduct of that. And Father, we are stronger individually in our community than we are by ourselves. So Father, I pray that you would convince us of that today from your word. I pray, Father, each of us would go back and read 1 Corinthians 12 and we'd read the whole chapter and we'd see in chapter 11 the divisions that were there because of the subcultures. And then in chapter 12, as you address those subcultures and you tell us to live as one as our body is one and how each individual member fingers and and toes and tendons and muscles and, and bones and all these things come together, nerves, all of them work together to form the body. And yet every single piece is needed for the body to operate. And when things are taken out, things are cut off, things are missing, it affects us and changes the way that we live. So Father, change this church. But don't do it in a corporate way. Do it in an individual way that changes us corporately for your glory. In your name we pray. All God's people said. Mm-hmm.